0: Absolutely. Okay. Okay, Brenda, um, we're going to start the co-applicant board meeting today at 5.35.
1: Great. Um, roll, I'm, I'm going to do roll call. Loretta Mallon?
0: Yes.
1: Present. Richard Harvey, Jr.? Present. Lucia Angel? Present. Lucia Angel?
2: Here.
1: Neha Banger? B. Franks Walker? Here. Eric Murphy will not join us today. Mark Smith?
3: Here.
1: Kalia Toki and Ali Yesing will not join us today. We have a quorum.
0: Thank you, thank you we have a quorum? Yes, we do. Well, good evening, everyone. Um, I just have a couple of real short, super short announcements. Um, I wanted to remind everybody that our July meeting is going to be on the 19th, not the second Tuesday, but the third Tuesday. And so mark your calendars accordingly. And then um, we still are looking for more CAP members, so if you have neighbors or friends or people that you think would be valuable to our board, please have them apply. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to myself, I'm trying to locate a person that has been homeless prior and is no longer homeless that could uh, possibly sit on the board. I know maybe David, maybe you know some people that you could recommend. Um, and that's all for my announcements. Um, So the next thing is the approval of our minutes from the May 10th meeting and and to adopt the resolution for the teleconferencing messaging pursuant to AB 36. Thank you B. Someone want to second?
4: I'll
5: second that motion to approve the minutes and the resolution to remote teleconference. Thank you. Okay.
6: And, um, sorry, Damon?
0: Breit, oh, let's
6: take a vote on that motion. Oh, okay. Brenda, if you wouldn't mind doing roll call, please.
1: Yes. I will call your name for the vote and please state yes or no. Loretta Mellon. Yes. Richard Harvey Jr. Yes. Lucia Angel yes b franks walker
3: yes
1: mark smith yes the motion pass
3: thank
0: you okay uh item c is our medical director's report turn it over to you damon
7: thanks so much um i just had one item today um i wanted to update you that we had a good meeting um very recently, it was, might have been yesterday, I'm losing track of time, how <laughs> busy uh, I am, I mean, yeah. with,
3: uh,
7: with our chief financial officer, Kim Miranda, and some members of her team um, around, uh, you know, a lot of work that they've been doing to, um, to um, just recategorize the, um, the, the financial reporting across the entire system in ways that I think will really improve clarity for us as a co applicant board um, so I'm really, I'm really excited uh, just about the direction that that's heading. Really appreciative of our finance team for you know, all the work they've done for us to kind of work around the fact that our financial systems haven't in the past been structured um, right. in, in ways that make it easy for them to produce our you know, HRSA-related reports. Um, and then also appreciative of them doing the planning and all the legwork it takes to, um, to actually orient these things in new ways. So, um, we're looking forward to coming back in, in uh, a few months with kind of more specifics around this. And I think, um, I'm really excited that the co-applicant board, I think, is going to be, um, front and center, you know, with, uh, reviewing, um, you know, how we're thinking about how revenue is allocated in our system and, um, and part of the process for the Board of Trustees really, you know, um, Ratifying this this kind of way of looking at our at our finances. So I just wanted to share that kind of hot off the press uh, update with you all, and, and you know, thank you all for prioritizing this in our strategic plan. I think that mm-hmm. really helps to bring attention to the issue, and um, and it really you know, it really feels good to be moving in that direction. And uh, that's that's the only item I wanted to update on. It was to say I'm really excited for the homeless mortality report later on. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the topic is really difficult, but I think it it all it represents just um, a really important, you know, um, approach to thinking about what it is we, you know, have these 63-page uh, four yeah. minutes about and stuff like that. Um, you know, this is the stuff that we do on a day-to-day basis. And I was fortunate enough, um, we do a mortality review in our HIV clinic every year homelessness in my panel, but none of my patients who passed
1: Stop sharing. There, there you go. Now I see
0: you. <laughs> cool.
8: yeah. Okay, now
0: I see a
8: telephone. Now. Oh, I just have to click on this to, um, first. Okay, to there you go. About the the home the homeless um, summer solstice celebration of the strength and resilience of people experiencing homelessness in Alameda County. That's going to happen a week from
4: today. Hey, uh, hey David. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is on our agenda today, and oh, Mark really? is going to present it, and I love that you're yeah. bringing it up, too, Good. so we can get a double, double That's hit, my announcement. but it's not on your agenda, ah, all right. it's on Mark's agenda. <laughs> Good. Stick to the script, David, please. That's the problem, I can't scroll down when I'm looking the your am going to
8: stick to yeah, the so
0: Yeah.
8: Um, okay, now you... All right, I'm going to um, go to the sharing mode on your first one here yeah there you go um, let me know if you guys see this is that good huh right. yes um, yeah so Al- Alameda County carried out its first ever homeless mortality um, count um, last um, fall um, last year and the resulted in a, in a homeless mortality retrospective. Looking at the deaths of um, people experiencing homelessness who died in homelessness from 2018 to 2020, so it was a, a three-year report. Um, um, the goal, of course, is to continue on on an annual basis doing these um, homeless mortality reports. Um, Where we, the one of the really interesting, powerful things about this report is that we were able to kind of track the deaths of people that we know died in homelessness, um, the deaths of people who died. With recent history of homelessness, but had just been re- or had been recently housed, and people who died with a recent history of homelessness, for whom it wasn't possible to tell if they were actually homeless at the time of death. Um, there's homeless mortality reports that happen in, um, across the country. It's a growing. Consciousness—that—that's something that um, that communities really need to do. Health departments need to get behind that, and that's a growing movement. Most homeless mortality reporting, though, is um, is provided by um, the local coroner or medical examiner. Um, in the case of coroners, which is much more common in in, in California, um, they only will report the people that they that literally die on the streets. Um, or in a shelter or in a, in a kind of a homeless situation, but people that die, that are experiencing homeless, that die in, a, in another type of situation, um, a, a, a um, skilled nursing facility or a hospital emergency department, those aren't investigated and therefore not reported by the coroner. Um, mm-hmm. So we in, in this report, we used a, di- a different methodology that really allowed us to get a lot more information and see it and, and track a, a pretty shocking number of deaths um, during that time period. Um, it was carried out by our public health department and our health care for the homeless program. The way we did it basically was that we got lists of people that we knew were homeless, that had, been exper- that had experienced homelessness in the last um, five years. Um, such as HMIS lists and um, healthcare for the homeless utilization lists, and some other um, utilization lists. We got the lists um, of people that, that that the coroner's office um, reported that, that had died uh, um, as transient deaths, and we also got reports from the community. Um, we have a, a web page set up now for the last year or so, where community members can um, can file reports of people that they when they know that somebody died in homelessness. We also got other community reports um, from the media and from a bunch of other reporters, including Santa Rita Jail um, and the Hope Home Study of um, Homeless Seniors. We compared that list of people that we knew were homeless with the list from the state of people that we knew were dead um, or that had died in the last year to see where we could match up those names. And that gave us um, a pretty, um, interesting process to, to come up with to, to then identify was that person actually person experiencing homelessness when they died. Um, that allowed us to create age adjusted mortality rates. So we're comparing the deaths of people experiencing homelessness in Alameda County with the deaths of people with the general population. So we could really compare apples to apples. And like this note, notes here. Um, our numbers were are going to be a lot higher than most other localities that are doing homeless counting because we're counting really everybody, um, the best we can, not just the people who died on the streets. Um, our key findings were sobering um, during those three the, that three year period, 809 people died in homelessness, um, and we saw look, looking at this at this chart, oops, this chart right here, we saw that striking rise in the numbers of deaths among people experiencing homelessness in the last three years. Um, and especially that that 2020 year, um, which in com- communities across the country, we saw a, a sharp increase in homeless deaths during the first year of COVID. Um, not deaths due to COVID, but deaths due to other causes, but a sharp increase in those deaths. We found that overall people experiencing homelessness, their death rate, their age-adjusted mortality rate is well over four times the rate of death of the general population, um, a rate of 2,366 per 100,000 people experiencing homelessness um, compared to the rate of 538 for the general population. And looking at the, um, at the, get old out of the way, hide that, can't hide my thumbnails very well. Good, um, yeah these are the numbers right here by those three categories that i mentioned, known to be homeless at the time of death, people that had died after becoming permanently housed with experience of homelessness, and people for whom we know that they had been experiencing homelessness within the years before, within the few years before their death, but we just couldn't figure out if they died in homelessness or or not. And that might be a lot of people that are doubled up, staying place to place, where there's just no no real way of telling what their status was at time of death. In death record, death certificates and death records, there is no box or, or part to, to, to fill out that says somebody's housing status at time of death. And we're actually working on that on the state level to try to get that change. So when anybody... It dies um, as part of the, the the report, the death certificate. There will be a field um, coming up soon due to advocacy, and um, that 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 um, death records will include per- a person's housing status at time of death. So that would that will help across the, the state to be able to kind of get those to do that analysis a little bit better. The key findings that we that we. That besides the shocking numbers of uh, amounts of numbers were things that we would probably not be surprised at considering the the who is experiencing homelessness in Alameda County um, 41% of the deaths were among African-American people um, consider compared to the fact that um, not even 20% of the general population deaths were among people experienced uh, were among African-American uh, black folks um, and that number is more consistent with the the percentage of African-Americans of the homeless population. Um, 60% of the homeless population, people experiencing homelessness identified as male, but almost 77% of the population uh, of the homeless deaths were among men. Um, Among the general population, 51% of deaths are among men. The average age of deaths for men was 53, the average age of death for women experiencing homelessness was, just, was 49. Um, when we look at the, at the causes of death, about almost exactly half of the deaths on that list were caused by acute chronic medical conditions. That's another way of saying natural causes. We don't really want to use the word natural causes though when we're talking about people experiencing homelessness because of the very unnatural rate of deaths and the high morbidity uh, of diseases that people experiencing homelessness have. It's very unnatural. Um, but over half of those deaths, about half of those deaths were heart, cardiovascular disease, cancer, liver disease, cerebrovascular disease, which is strokes, and respiratory disease. The, a really big deal was, though, that Almost a quarter of those deaths, of homeless deaths, were due to drug, specifically to drug overdoses. That number rose sharply in 2020. Um, So in 2020, 190 people, or sorry, in in those three years, 190 people experiencing homelessness died of drug overdoses. Um, Ten percent of homeless deaths were due to accidental injuries, um, excluding overdose led by pedestrian and cyclists hit by automobiles. So the streets are very dangerous. Um, and automobile transit related deaths as well, but primarily the deaths due to accidental injuries were, um, were pedestrians, were people in streets hit by cars. Um, 59 deaths during that time were due to shootings and stabbing taking place in the streets and outdoors. And 35 of those deaths were due to suicide. Of those drug overdose deaths that we that I mentioned before, um, all of those number that number 190 were due to accidental drug overdoses, uh, not not um, suicide. And we we found six cases of people experiencing homelessness that died of COVID um, in our in 2020. Um, we only. Tracked one situation of of a shelter resident who died of COVID. Um, The remainder of those COVID deaths were people that were um, experiencing homelessness but living in different places who died in hospitals and nursing facilities. A really important thing that that we're able to do to to see in our countywide homeless mortality report was what was the, the location of the death, not just. What city were they, did they die in? And that's the region, that's this um, chart right here, regions um, with a high number of people dying in um, Oakland, Emeryville area and smaller numbers of people in the mid-county, Berkeley, Tri-City and Tri-Valley areas, very much consistent with the numbers of um, people experiencing homelessness in these areas. But also, what was this, the location where they actually died? Um, we found out that 56% of deaths of people experiencing homelessness were unattended. There wasn't a doctor or a clinician, a nurse, or a, or a um, medical provider there. They didn't die in a, ho- in a ho- hospital or a um, nursing facility of some, some kind. They died outside of those situations, so in streets, um, outdoors, in shelters, camps, or vehicles. And when you look at the number of people who died of acute chronic disease-related deaths, those so-called natural causes, 42% of those deaths occurred outside of a hospital or a medical facility. We did, we counted 61 deaths of people who were living in homeless shelters at the time of death. Not all those people died in the shelters, but they died while they were living in a shelter. Um, and of that of, that percent, of that, those deaths, um, 60% of those died of acute chronic diseases. At least 49 people were noted on their, on their um, death certificate as having died in a homeless encampment. Um, probably a lot more than that, but among the people who were known to die in homeless encampments, 62% of those were um, drug overdose deaths and 24% were acute or chronic diseases. Um, a lot of drug overdoses. We don't know exactly where they took place. They were just people who arrived at the hospital, generally in an in a ambulance, or dropped off um, with an unknown location where they where they overdosed. So those numbers were probably higher than that. Um, our next steps for for homeless mortality reporting are are. Really our big thing for in doing this report is that we want to see homeless mortality reporting and the analysis of this homeless mortality data that we got it's important to notice that note that in our in our report which is about sixty pages long it's just data it's just information that people can look through and learn about there's no there's not much recommendations or analysis, really, of of those deaths and that's what we want to do. We want to make sure, number one, that mortality reporting is happening on a regular basis, that's driven by our county, and that there's, well, really important for us is that there's regular and thoughtful evaluation and analysis of that homeless mortality reporting. Um, We're working right now with uh, the county to establish a homeless mortality review team that will regularly review homeless mortality data and do that analysis, give those recommendations and track those recommendations to, to, as to, Im- to improve and reduce homeless mortality. Um, we're pushing hard for better collaboration and data sharing with the Alameda County Sheriff's Department. They run in Alameda County, our coroner's office is run by the sheriff, and that coroner's office was not very helpful or collaborative with us in that process. Um, we And especially regarding the analysis of one of the most critical things, which was overdose deaths, they were not able to share much, any details with us around toxicology, what were people overdosing from, where were they overdosing, what was going on around those overdoses. Um, We want to see more of that kind of um, data sharing so we can really figure things out and get to the bottom of that. Um, And a final area that we want to see more is service utilization data, not just what did the person die of, but what was going on leading up to their death. Um, Were they being seen in the homeless system of care? Were they getting housing assistance, support in clinics? Were they seen in hospitals, emergency rooms? Were they getting behavioral health, substance use services? Um, Were they in jail? Were they being released from jail? Were they being touched by outreach providers or social services agencies? That's a goal moving forward where I think we can keep working on and we can learn from looking at individual cases especially, what was was going on leading up to that death that we can improve to keep people from dying. And next steps, we were all not surprised but still shocked at the numbers of overdose deaths among people experiencing homelessness and even though we didn't have like direct written um, recommendations, um, the healthcare for the Homeless program, our partners, we got to work on that question immediately. Um, we know that 190 deaths is just out, out of control um, and that we, we have no reason to believe that that number went down last year, um, considering the general population numbers and we're getting to work, continuing to expand the work around reducing homeless mortality, uh, overdose mortality. So some of those steps are first to really work to expand the distribution of naloxone to people experiencing homelessness, making sure that wherever people are seen, wherever they're connecting with healthcare, with the system, whether it's hospitals, emergency departments, clinics. Outreach providers that they get access that we distribute naloxone to people, teach them how to use that to reverse overdoses. Um, Mm -hmm. Healthcare for the homeless has really re upped and gotten back into the saddle, leading trainings. For shelter and outreach staff around and encouraging and supporting those providers across the country, across the county, to distribute know about, have on hand, and distribute naloxone (coughs) to people that are that are at risk of overdose or at risk of witnessing overdose. Um, We're going to be installing naloxone dispensers and shelters and service sites throughout the county, and we're advocating for increased as are, it's already happening in jails in, um, in Alameda County, but also upon release um, and just inc- increasing that accessibility of, of naloxone. Um, second, we want to you know one of the, the key things for reducing mor- homeless mortality is supporting people in their substance use um, support and their, their voyage, their journey around substance um, use linking people to care, providing street-based medication-assisted treatment, um, access to um, buprenorphine, um, long-lasting, long-acting um, buprenorphine, which, you know, re- helps people kick and reduce their, their need for, um, for opiates, um, long-acting drugs called sublockade, bu- buvidal, and the harm reduction services safe injection kits and that support so people can make the right decisions um, and not feel ashamed in the way or criminalized in the way that they feel like they have to use alone or in secrecy because that's that's a big killer is when people are injecting, dr- using opiates, um, using drugs alone where there's nobody there to revive them if they overdose. Um, Part of our work to expand and improve substance use services. I'm really thrilled to um, to share with you that uh, that healthcare for the homeless and AHS Bridge Clinic were just awarded um, the California Health and Healthcare and Homelessness Learning Collaborative, um, a pilot project that we're going to be working with the Bridge Project together on to really to bring the. The incredible care that's happening in the bridge clinic for people with substance use um, needs to bring that, expand that out throughout the county, Um, take some of the pressure off the bridge clinic. They've been, they're doing such a great job that there needs to be more bridge clinics out there. We're going to look at how to expand those types of services and how to get more attention and, and support for people in their substance use and homelessness. Um, We're working right now to embed clinicians into the Safer Ground Hotels to directly work with people with substance use and provide medication-assisted treatment. That'll be starting in the next month or so. Um, That's, you know, Safer Ground Hotels are the example where people are all in their own room by themselves a lot. There's a lot of isolation, and there's a lot of need for support and focus around for those people with substance use disorders. And of course, pushing against, pushing or working with our our friends at Alameda County Behavioral Health Services to expand more supportive um, substance use services, especially around um, substance um, around opiates and methamphetamines. Um, services for folks there. Finally, we're 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 all involved in countywide opiate death reduction collaboratives. Um, and we're, we're working on a project right now also with um, folks from AHS to try to identify how we can get, how we can start a, pro- a project called community drug testing where harm reduction providers, low easy access providers can actually test people's drugs for them to see what's in it so people know what's in the drugs they're doing. Um, that picture of the, the penny on this presentation, there's a little speck, little specks of white powder next to that penny. That's the amount of no, fentanyl of that will kill you. Um, and it's everywhere, and it's in the drug and, and the drug supply. is starting to be more and more different kinds of very strong additives that really that people need to know about so they can respond, so they can protect themselves, and kind of know where they're going with their substance use. So that's a project that we're, that we're just kind of helping um, bring together community harm reduction mm-hmm. providers around. Um, yeah, finally, in the winter, you might have remembered um, on, on winter solstice, the shortest, coldest, longest day of the year, Shortest day of the year, we um, observe um, National Homeless Persons Memorial Day, where we mourn the the losses of people and we support clinicians and providers across the country, across the county who are um, who are also deeply impacted by the by the deaths um, of the people that they're working with, and try to do some healing, try to address that try to commit and reset and keep working on ways that we can reduce mortality among people experiencing homelessness. That will happen every winter. And of course, the flip side of that is our summer solstice event where we celebrate people's um, strengths and resilience. Um, That is my little overview presentation of our homeless um, mortality report. That report is accessible and available to anybody who wants to see it, um, you can download it on the health, from the Healthcare for the Homeless web, um, website. We have a um, homeless mortality page where you can both report, submit names of people that you know have died in homelessness and download that report. Um, that's a heavy bit of information but um, I don't know if people have questions or, or, or comments.
9: Um, I do. Uh, this is Mark. Um, you were mentioning earlier, uh, David, about um, about um, an effort to try to make this um, um, the the indication of uh, the homeless status of uh, people who die uh, in the county um, to make it uh, um, part of the coroner's report uh, statewide. Um, is there anybody, uh, has anybody been identified in the legislature at all as some, um, as a person who uh, might be also working on this who we should contact? Well, that's a good question. Um, our
8: work on that specific topic, which is making sure that the, that coroner report, or sorry, um, mortality report, what do they call it? Death certificate. Sorry. Yeah. That everybody fills out every time someone dies. A professional fills out a death certificate um, that's that we don't need to change the law to do that that's a procedural change that um, has actually already been um, given the green light by the California coalition or, or a, a group of coroners Association or whatever um, they were going to make that change this year, and but they're so um, backlogged on lots of different levels that they had to push that off till next year. So we're expecting that to happen without without need for political advocacy on that specific top topic.
9: Okay, and my other follow up question, uh, you, in regards to uh, what you mentioned earlier about um, doing uh, allowing testing of drugs, uh, so people know exactly what is in. Uh, the drugs that they are taking. I would imagine uh, that's going to be a sticky wicket, simply because uh, the argument would probably be that by doing so, uh, we would be, in effect, uh, possibly encouraging uh, drug use um, as a result. Um, uh, what, what uh, if anything, do you think about that possibility? Well, that, that argument um, is
8: pretty much can be, can be leveled against anything under the, the continuum of harm reduction. Um, mm-hmm. and Harm reduction services um, and approaches, we, we work to meet people where they are without judgment and give them the information and resources that they need to make their own decisions and protect themselves and change their own behavior at their own pace. Um, so that's a that's a pretty wide continuum of services. Community drug testing is is just part of that that continuum of um, patient person centered harm reduction um, services that mm-hmm. are pretty much gaining acceptance um, across the across the country.
0: I know David in New York; they've been doing this for a while, and. Um they even advertise it on uh, television, you know, to contact your county, blah, blah, blah to get a, um, a safe kit. I think they call them safe kits or something. And they have a, a, a clean needle. They have alcohol um, wipes. They have um, even a condom and uh, a tester, a testing strip that would test for um, fentanyl.
8: Yeah. And it's, it's kind of remarkable now that the te- the fentanyl test strip is almost useless because fentanyl is in all of the drugs. You know, it doesn't really good to say, oh, this has fentanyl and I can't use it. We have I to, know. unfortunately, that's where the drug testing, thing, we have to go to more and more precise details and see what else is in it. Yeah, sorry right. I interrupted you, but that's a good Yeah, no, that's
0: fine. Yeah. Um, and you... Do our um, street workers pass out Narcan to the um, encampments? Is that Jen?
8: Um, yes, throughout the county, the street health teams um, are all trained, and um, and we're continuing to train them and provide them with um, with naloxone supplies um, to distribute. They they like to identify in, in encampments. They like to identify the mama bears, the, the people who mm-hmm. feed them. They have their eyes on the um, on the camps to really um, give them supplies and teach secondary distribution, train them to train other yeah. people to distribute. Um, yeah. So that that's definitely happening.
0: Excellent.
7: David,
9: I noticed that the largest category of
7: deaths um, was acute, chronic medical conditions. That fifty percent of those deaths. And, and, of course, you all, and we are a, a health center focused on primary care services. I think for me that really underscores, you know, our strategic focus as a co board on drop-in services and the, just the availability yeah. and ease of being able to make contact with someone. You know, I wonder how many of those deaths are people who, if it was easy to get in somewhere and see someone about something that hurt or something that they knew was wrong, would have been able to do something about some of those causes of death. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like we're kind of on the right track with what we're doing at Alameda Health System, but I'm wondering, you know, it seems like you all have focused really intensively on substance use, which is which is so needed. I mean, I'm the volunteer medical director at Hepac. You, you know, I'm totally on board with that as well. I'm just, I'm curious if you all are thinking about anything in that first very large area around acute and chronic and medical conditions that... You know, the county wants to take on in partnership with with some of the contractors like us. Well,
8: I, I think the the first what, the first things that come to mind, and I and I don't I don't think, kind of like I mentioned before, I don't feel like there's really been a lot of deep analysis, especially outside of um, overdose, of what 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 can we act on from what we know. Um, there needs to be kind of more attention than that, but the, the, the some of the key takeaways that, that we that we have is that this kind of reinforces the need for medical respite. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Services um, having you know, and the need the needs uh-huh. for not only just medical respite but hospice care. People are going to be dying, and we just don't want to see them dying on the streets. And uh-huh. you know, we also in the healthcare for the homeless program, we we see this as a. Um, a really important um, reason or to or thing to, to work in the shelter system and really work with and getting people connected to care in who are, who are going through the shelter pro, shelters and shelter programs so to, to us building up our shelter health services is a really important part of, of this
7: response to this. Great. I really encourage you to add primary care to that. I think mm-hmm. after you leave medical respite, you still have chronic conditions that need care. Right. Um, after you, you know, leave some of these acute-oriented services. After you leave a shelter, you still have issues. So if you're in that population of people who's, you know, in the three years since you've been homeless and you're dying and you're in this report, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the thing that all of us need is some regular sources healthcare for all of our conditions. And that's the thing that we as a health center are set up to do, you know, with regulations and funding. Um, and I and I think um, I would hate for this report to draw us too far downstream. Yeah. And focus too much on the moment of death and, and not enough on what could be done ten years before people Eventually. die, over ten years to, you know, to keep them from being, you know, listed in this in this report.
8: Okay. And really, those are the kinds of discussions that i I want to see this homeless mortality review team, which which we want to pull from AHS hospital systems, CHCN um, county folks and stuff. There's a there's a lot to really think and get work on that on that level. Thanks, David. Sure.
0: Any more questions or comments for David? Well, oh, thank you, David, for presenting that. It's um, a lot of very helpful and good information. Um, I think uh, Charmaine is here now. Uh, Charmaine, yeah. are you? Hi. Hi. Uh, she's going to be talking about the mobile dental update. So
2: it's all you, Charmaine. Great, and I do really apologize for being late. I I thought, okay, I'm going to leave work early and prepare for this TAB presentation, and uh, the universe had other plans. I had a little fender bender, was involved oh. in a little accident on my way home, and so. I, but I really apologize for being late, but I made it. Um, so I do have a PowerPoint presentation to share. Um, I will. Oh, thank you so much for putting that up for me okay great thank you so much okay so I for those of you who don't know me yet I've been to the co-applicant board before but it was a while ago it was last fall so um, I'm Charmaine Ng, I chair the dental department, and um, Dr. Joshua Hall is actually the dentist that we've uh, put on the uh, mobile unit to provide dental uh, services to our patients experience, experiencing homelessness, but um, he is on a PTO, so I am presenting um, for him, and I'm hoping he can... Um, speak to you all in, in a few months to give you more updates as our program progresses. Uh, next slide please. So we are in phase one. We started this last summer, and um, basically the goals were to provide uh, demo screenings with, you know, just one dentist on there part-time on the um, mobile medical unit to provide oral health education. We applied some fluoride fluoride varnishes, um, did some oral health education with our patients, Um, and really also the goal was to uh, refer to our brick-and-mortar for, um, you know, dental care, um, and that's mainly at Highland Hospital where we see our adult patients. Next slide, please. So, our accomplishment since we've launched this pilot last summer was successful warm handoffs to our mobile medical team, coordinating dental care for 35% of our patients, and coordinating cor- sorry, tongue-tied, coordinating emergency care for patients in need of immediate treatment. Next slide. And our phase two goals. So we are currently, I kind of like to call it phase, 1.5 1.5 right now mm-hmm. um, but we um, our goal is in phase two to acquire mobile dental equipment so more we obtain funding for equipment expand dental services by providing limited exams dental x-rays cleanings and a uh, temporary fillings and also um, you know we only had dr. Hall on there and we wanted to provide him with some support staff so uh, 0.5 FTV. Of a registered dental assistant. We also call that RDA. Okay, and so our accomplishments. So we so sorry, we are actually in phase three of our pilots. Um, So just to clarify, I know these slides say phase phase two, but phase two accomplishments. We've already accomplished so far approving of these dental um, instruments and mobile equipment Um, and they are scheduled to be delivered this month, all of our equipment, our mobile equipment, so that's great news. Um, We actually did successfully fill the position of the registered dental assistant and they will begin soon. And the uh, assistant practice manager position was posted and successfully filled. Um, and they will also begin this month and we did complete the design um, of the sterilization process for the dental instruments. Uh, We had to work with our partners at San Leandro Hospital to ensure that we were transporting and sterilizing the instruments properly in compliance. Next slide please. So the mobile dental care access. uh, So we did um, provide um, 20.3 patients. That, that was an average of patients seen between November 2021 and April 2022. And from June 20, late June 2021 to May, uh, more recently, there were 295 visits for 269 patients. And uh, January to March, uh, patients. That return to care uh, was 55%. And if there are any uh, questions, um, please go ahead and and ask them. Um, Purchase, so phase three goals. So purchase and fabrication of a Sprinter dental van. We actually did um, obtain and secure the funding for a Sprinter van to be converted into a dental van. So we're really excited about that. And um, we also hope that by you know, obtaining this converted sprinter van, we are able to provide much more needed dental services, um, comprehensive exams, deep cleanings, extractions, fillings, the fabrication and repair of um, you know, dentures and partial dentures as well. And the phase three accomplishments, the capital expense was approved, PO was submitted. And so we have secured that with the vendor of this Sprinter van, dental van. And the Sprinter dental van design uh, meeting is scheduled for later this month. And the target date for delivery due to supply chain issues of converting a Sprinter van into a dental van is slated June 2023. And the next slide you'll see a sketch, actually, that we, um, you know, collaborated with the um, company that is going to do this conversion for us. So, you see there's a chair in the middle. Um, it's just a regular, a sprinter van does not require a special license to uh, drive this type of vehicle. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're so, we're, we have to put some cabinetry in and other items, but we're, we're very excited to... Um, get that moving along. And the last slide, so our Phase 1 pilot program has shown us that there is a high demand for dental services in um, Alameda County for our patients experiencing homelessness and we look forward to the rollout of Phase 2 and 3 which will hugely benefit the overall health of our patients. Mm So that is the last slide. Does anyone have any questions for me?
0: I'm really impressed with the return rate of the patients. That's awesome. I was too. I was very happy to see that data. Awesome. Yeah, that's excellent.
2: (laughs)
9: Yeah,
0: excellent.
9: Actually, uh, this is Mark. Um, I'm sure it was. I'm sure we had talked about this earlier at some earlier meeting, but. um, um, I just wanted to f- find out um, once the uh, Sprinter van has completed, uh, how many actual uh, people uh, will be assigned to it?
2: That is a great question. So right now, Dr. Hall, who is our dentist that um, is uh, doing this program, he is on the mobile medical van three days a week. Um, we really hope that we can, you know, up that time. Um, you know maybe four to five days a week um, when we do get that sprinter van and then also you know correspondingly his support staff which would be the registered dental assistant um, would be uh, really beneficial for our patients.
0: Are we going to keep the uh, gentle share in the mobile health van once the sprinter van is ready?
2: So the uh, mobile medical uh, unit has a chair there, but mm-hmm. um, we do utilize it, but it is not actually a dental chair. Um, oh. It is a chair, um, but we, you know, which is suitable for the level of service we're providing right now, which is, you know, pretty basic. Okay. Um, but in order to, you know, increase the level of service to provide, um, you know, more complex uh, treatment and care uh, we will need this you know dental chair yeah. um, but prior to the Sprinter event I know it take, it does take a while um, because of the supply chain issues and, and whatnot um, we will be um, once we get all the supplies this month the mobile uh, dental equipment we actually have a mobile dental unit so um, that is will be kind of like when I said it's like a 0.5 phase, um, that will actually be able to increase the level of service without the Sprinter van, um, because we know it will take a while to uh, build that out. So with this mobile medical, it's like kind of like a cart um, that will, you know, has like suction and uh, Mm -hmm. compressed air, Um, we will be able to uh, provide a higher level of service than we are currently providing.
7: That's great. Dr. I just wanted to um, highlight how this is like one of our most important um, projects in our, the first part of our strategic plan around creating drop in availability for, you know, high need services. Um, and then also say that, yeah, with that 55%, you know, return rate, I think our third part of our strategic plan is really increasing follow up and That's been one of our kind of stronger hypotheses about this service, which has taken some time to develop. We didn't get that return rate early on, but it's interesting that as we've increased the intensity of the service over the last few months, that people are coming back. And I think we we had this idea that, you know, based on our experience with healthcare for the homeless more broadly in the county, that we could create kind of a high follow-up service that like pulls people into care. And so it's just really nice to see Um, signs of that in the program and and how aligned this is with, you know, what we as a co-applicant board have said is like our priorities and the the kinds of things that we want to push. So I'm just really grateful for, you know, the work that you and and Dr. Hall and all your staff have done on this. It's really cool to see it go from idea to reality.
2: Yeah, it's it's really amazing. And and just we appreciate, you know, all the support that we received from you, Damon, Heather, and then the co-applicant board as well. Um, it, it's it's truly, you know, such a needed, um, you know, service in the community. And we also hope, you know, we, we kind of uh, through our experience, you know, people will kind of come to the dentist because their tooth hurts, right? And um, mm-hmm. we really hope that that will be like a little gateway. If you will, mm-hmm. to the you know, to loop them really in with uh, their primary care. Some of these patients maybe have seen, you know, primary care and, and maybe have kind of, um, you know, lost lost to follow up. So, um, you know, for many many reasons. Um, but we really hope to be, um, you know, if they come to us seeking dental care, but then have mm-hmm. these conversations about their overall health. Um, we really hope to to loop them in with our uh, medical services as well.
0: Yeah, I can see that happening very easily. It will be great. Awesome, awesome. Any other comments or questions for Charmaine? Oh, thank you, Charmaine. Thank you for your presentation and for all the work that you're doing. We appreciate it. Okay, our next item um, is uh, going to be presented by Mark. It's uh, concerning the Salted celebration.
9: Hey, Mark, it's all yours. Yeah, um, basically uh, we need to, um, as a board, we need to uh, nominate uh, someone to possibly uh, speak on our board's behalf uh, in support of the Summer Solstice Program. Um, I mean, excuse me, the, the Summer Sol- Solstice um, event, I'm sorry. Um, and we just need to nominate someone um uh, just to give a ringing endorsement um, to that event, and and, and to basically um, notify people um, who are present uh, that uh, us as a body uh, do uh, support and, sp- and sponsor uh, that that event and its goals. Um, so,
4: Brenda, if you scroll down to the next page. Uh, you can see the event, we talked about it at, um, last month, um, mm-hmm. you'll be able to keep going, sorry when I say next page, I mean <laughs> the one that has all the information. All right, so here's, um, David was, was trying to promote this as well earlier, but the event is on Tuesday, June 21st from noon to one, we've included this in your packet. Um, And we would, we're inviting you all to attend. We'd like to know who might be attending and who, if you're attending, might be willing to speak if the opportunity arises. Um, It may be just to say thank you for having the event. Um, There there may be nothing to say, but we wanted to make sure that somebody could feel comfortable speaking on behalf of the cab if, if that came up. And so does anybody know if they're going on June 21st from noon to one? There will be lunch. I'm going. I'm going. I love hearing that. Awesome. So I think that was um, B is going and Loretta is going. Was there somebody else I met? And
8: I nominate Loretta to speak on behalf of (laughs) of my organization.
9: (laughs) This is Mark. I I, I would be uh, more than um, uh, honored to speak, but uh, quite frankly, um, I, I, because of the situation is beyond my control, I can't even tell you if I'm going to be able to even attend.
4: Oh. If if, um, if you- we had a backup, could we could we nominate, this is where I'm going to ask Kayla, could we nominate Loretta and Mark if Mark is there, he would be able to speak and there would be no restriction to him speaking kind of okay. a thing? Yeah, absolutely. You can still be nominated and speak in that case and then if you're there you can speak and if you're not that's fine too. Okay. Um, We can have more than one, I mean it's, we we put out a framework for you and we encourage you all to speak really if you're there and so, um, but we just don't know what the layout is going to be once we get there so we just want to have room for that and for everybody to feel comfortable. Right know that you're speaking with the full support of your board. <laughs> yeah, that's it
6: kind it what we talked about, about. When you speak for the CAD, like Heather was saying, you speak with one voice. So if we have, you know, a formal nomination and vote on it, then I think like the two or whoever is nominated would feel comfortable and the cab would feel comfortable having them, you know, speak on behalf of the board if that opportunity presented itself. So I guess we've heard... Um, a nomination for Loretta, and is there a nomination for Mark as well, since he might be able to attend? I nominate Mark also to
4: speak on behalf of the board if he's if he's available. I would like
2: to. So, if it's okay with the board, we can combine those to make them mo-
6: to see if there's a second for a motion to nominate Loretta and Mark um, as speakers For the uh, summer solstice event? Is there well, a second?
7: I move to nominate Loretta and Mark to be the speaker for the summer
9: solstice celebration.
4: I've already nominated, but they're looking for a second. Oh,
9: within <laughs> my second.
4: Perfect.
1: Thank you, Perfect.
4: Brandon, you
6: wouldn't mind doing um, a roll call for a vote
1: on that? Yes. I will call your name for the vote and please state yes or no. Loretta Mallon? Yes. Richard Harvey Jr.? Yes. Lucia Angel? Yes. B. Franks Walker? Yes. Mark Smith? Yes. The motion pass.
0: Okay. okay, and I think our next item um, is
6: for Kayla. Oh, thanks, Floretta. Okay. Hi. Uh-huh. So just. Back, I believe it was in April, the CAB approved three um, recommendations for staff to bring to the Board of Trustees, um, really just to promote greater lines of communication between the two boards. And just as a reminder, those three were um, increasing the frequency of meeting between uh, the co-applicant board and the Board of Trustees, and the second being the Board of Trustees accepting the co-applicant boards regular meeting minutes at the following regular meeting of the Board of Trustees, and the third being um, joint advocacy by the Board of Trustees and the Grappigan Board to the Board of Supervisors to have a consumer board member on the Board of Trustees. I'm sorry I'm using like a lot of boards, so it sounds wordy, so sorry if this is confusing. Feel free to jump in and ask questions. Um, but those are the three recommendations that uh, the CAB approved for staff to present to staff of the Board of Trustees. So following that meeting when this was approved, um, I brought this memo or the memo that was approved then with the recommendations to staff for the Board of Trustees. And we discussed their recommendations and they asked for kind of like a summary of the joint interests of the boards in the Board of Trustees. Um, considering these recommendations and why they had an interest in doing so. So highlighting, you know, uh, joint governance responsibilities and the importance of, you know, both boards receiving similar information that you all received in these meetings in, you know, the program reports and other um, reports that you have from staff members and kind of created a brief memo for them so I presented that to staff a few weeks ago. I haven't heard back yet. I know that the third was not really something that was necessarily being considered at this point because of all the ongoing governance discussions with the county but I do think that there is some interest in the first two so I'm hoping hoping really soon to get um, some more information on that and I think at the next cab meeting I'm hoping to have something more substantive to give the board but that's where we are with that. So. You know, their lines of communication are open in terms of staff to staff discussing what the requests are of the CAB and thinking about how we might, how they might be able to present that to the board and what the board might be open to. So hopefully, again, I'll have something, a little more substantive to present next time. But that's all I have for that. But are there any questions or anything I can answer regarding this update?
9: Well, I'm. This is Mark again. Um, Could you clarify a little bit exactly um, what they want from us specifically? First first of all, you mentioned something about uh, at at least somebody from our board uh, possibly representing us um, as part of the Board of Trustees structure, and I'm not sure about what you meant by the second part.
6: So um, that's actually the third point. So it's not a member of the CAB being on the Board of Supervisors. It's about having a consumer member or someone that might um, be a patient at Alameda Health System be a member on the Board of Trustees. So that was our third or the third recommendation that the CAB approved to present to um, the Board of Trustees to see if they would jointly advocate to the Board of Supervisors. Because the way the Board of Trustees are selected is by the Board of Supervisors. So a
9: lot of Oh, I see. Okay.
6: Yeah, so they don't really have a direct say as to who is on the board, but they could potentially advocate with the CAB um, to the Board of Supervisors for that. But just given the governance conversations, that wasn't really something that staff of the Board of Trustees thought was a possibility at this point, but I think those conversations have moved forward, so it's at a different point. But we focus mainly on the first two, so greater frequency of meetings between the two boards, and then also having the Board of Trustees Accept um, the minutes from CAT meetings, which, again, that was just so they're aware of what you are hearing in your meetings. There's a, a greater overlap of information that you receive and that they receive so everyone is, you know, on the same page. They're more in tune with what the needs are of the health center. Um, but those are really the two big ones that their staff, um, their attorney, asked me to kind of highlight, I guess, the talking points, essentially, for him to present to the board. Um, about, you know, why there's a common interest in maybe moving forward with those two um, and the Board of Trustees' interest specifically. So for those, I just really emphasize things that are in our co-applicant agreement and the bylaws and just the joint governance structure and the importance of um, oversight for both, especially hearing the information that you all hear here because it's, I mean, it's so important just because of the joint role you have in, especially budget creation and different things like that.
0: Kayla, they weren't real um, interested or excited about the third one, which in essence is asking for patient involvement.
2: Uh, uh,
6: I'll clarify that this hasn't, to my understanding, unless the board, this isn't the Board of Trustees response to it, it's staff's. And so I presented this, it's like staff, others that are in my role, feel like their attorney wanted talking points to present, but I think it was their sense that. I did provide an outline of the benefits of having a consumer member on the board, but it was their idea that that might not be something that was actionable at this time, you know, just given, I think, as Francis mentioned, the ongoing governance discussions with the county and, you know, what would happen with the board of trustees and all of that was really in flux during the conversations I was having with staff. So I think it was just for them, it made more sense to really emphasize one and two because it seemed more actionable at that time.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Thank you.
7: Mm-hmm. I think there may be a, a separate pathway that's worth pursuing around the third bullet, which is direct board to board contact, which I'm happy to facilitate if um, any of the co-applicant board members are interested in speaking to you know, members of the board of trustees directly about that. Um, that that may be that may be something that's more easily facilitated by board members talking to board members <sighs> and going through staff because it's really about representation. It doesn't have much to do with process. Right. Um, whereas the, you know, the other ones, it, it makes sense for us to have staff involved, but there's no there's no need for like if if members think it's a good idea to have additional members and then the people who appoint them, they can talk directly to them and say that you know regardless of where it is in the process or when it might be considered. So I think. If that's something that, you know, any members of our co-applicant board, we've already, we've already recommended it as a body, but if that's something that any individual members want to pursue, I think I'd be happy to make introductions, or I think co-applicant board members could also speak, you know, publicly as the third bullet in the conversation where the staff presents, you know, elements of the first two.
0: Yeah, I like that idea, Damon, very much. Um, I just recently completed a slide presentation for the reason for patient involvement, which I could perhaps tailor to, to that bullet a little more, you know what I mean? Why it would be important to be on the, the actual board, what the benefits are for the organization as well as the patients we serve.
7: Great. Well, okay. maybe we can follow up in our next uh, planning meeting about that yeah. uh, and we can get advice from Kayla okay. as to whether – I think this – you know, we know the board remains supportive of that bullet, and so I think, you know, some yeah. acts, we can we can figure out how to undertake actions or next steps that are consistent with, you know, our structure uh, to pursue that. So right. uh, that's, that's really good to know. Thanks. Okay.
6: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Is there anything else on that item? No? Awesome.
0: Thank you all. Thank you, Taylor. Okay, Heather, um, did you
4: want to talk a little bit about the recruitment update? Sure thing, as uh, Loretta mentioned earlier in the meeting, encouraging you all to help with the recruitment efforts for new CAB members. Um, The memo here is mostly a repeat of of what you saw the last time I made an update with uh, some bonus information if you slide down a little bit. In that, since our last conversation, up a a little, you can see that there's a link right there, and then there's also a uh, the full web address is also available for you. Um, So we had a the communications that we had planned to feature Loretta um, that went out to all members of Alameda Health System and is in a public space, so on the Alameda Health System website, and you can find it. Um, by linking to it, but I've also included it here for you so you can read it. So if you scroll down, you can see the article. And this article was featured on across all of the social, social media platforms, including Facebook, um, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and Instagram. I think those are the major ones. Um, so we featured Loretta a little a little link, to it. basically had a link to this article on the Alameda Health System website and then this is um, just a printout of the article and the best I could do by pulling it off of the website. So you can also <laughs> read it right here but I did also provide you with the address you can go straight to www.alamedahealthsystem.org and you'll see Loretta's beautiful face and you can read her story. Um, included in this also is a link to the co-applicant board application, and so the idea is to lead people to the story so they can read it and then they can also link directly to the application and apply. Um, I will let you know that I have not received any new applications yet. We could really use your help in forwarding and spreading this message. Um, I did get a suggestion from one of our providers, so I did get one patient name from a provider, Dr. Neha Gupta uh, provided me with a, a patient that may be interested in joining, but we haven't made contact yet. Um, I've left a message. I got it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little more recruitment. I'm gonna call a few more times and, and encourage them to join our board. Um. Also, I just as a reminder, if you have a phone number of somebody and you'd like me to reach out to them, I can do that as well. I can send you um, the application either via mail or email, however you'd like it. Uh, we really do want uh, to encourage you. And, and we're open to additional ideas on how we can get more members. So if you have any ideas for additional actions that we can take to get more members, please let us know.
0: It might be worth our time to look at the uh, list, if, if it's still around, of who is on the patient um, ad- advocacy. Um, Boards, not board but group. You know, before, and maybe some of those um, people would be interested because I know everything stopped because of COVID. So, you know, trying to get people reintroduced again. Okay, so that just a thought.
4: That's a great idea. Thank you.
3: Uh-huh.
4: Okay, and.
0: Let's see, uh, is there a public comment?
4: Well, first I get to give you my program report too. Oh, I'm would you sorry. you like do sorry. that first? Yes. yes, I would love you too. <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> love um, so just a few updates here in June. Uh, oral surgery is now on our um, scope of work in our HRSA, as a specialty service in our HRSA scope of work. There have been oral surgery activities on E2 since the dental clinic even initially began. So we've been doing a process over the past couple of years of making sure all of the things we've been doing on our sites are included in our HRSA scope of work so that they can be included um, for FQHC billing. And you may recall that earlier last year the dental E2 was added on as a site and so that was the first step and now the second step was adding on oral surgery as a specialty um, because dental was already uh, included as a service and so we had to also add oral surgery. Um, so they began billing in May 2022 because that's when it was added onto our scope officially for FQHC rates for the oral surgery clinic as well. And just as a reminder, the oral surgery clinic are those things that take place on E2. It does not include surgery, surgery which happens over in the in the K building. That's completely separate. But these are for the local. Um, I'll call them the more basic regular oral surgeries that include extractions and root canals and the things that you would do in any dental office mm-hmm. that don't require significantly more surgical support. All right, if you scroll down a little bit, um, here's our, our utilization. Again, um, Each mu- each time I bring this up, it's a 12-month set of data. And so we're looking at June of 2021 through the end of May of 2022. Um, you can see on this report that we've in that year we've seen about thirty five hundred patients, and this is pretty consistent over time. And remember, it, it ebbs and flows a little up and down each time we run the report. Um, in that time, you can see also our Highland primary care, our Highland specialty care, our Highland urgent care. You see our dental and oral surgery, our substance use disorder, and then we've got our separate sites listed as well: Eastmont, Mobile. Hayward, and Newark. And in this chart, we've really combined everything that's happening in Hayward into one space. On a different slide, you'll see that, which is all specialty care, regardless of where it took place, and all primary care, regardless of where it took place, so that you can see the difference there as well. So we did break down um, Highland into several sections because it's just such a large, um, and overwhelmingly, that's where we're seeing most of our patients. So that's why you get the breakdown there. If you scroll to the next page please, you can see the utilization over time each month. Um, you can see that uh, top line is our Highland specialty. so we see more patients in specialty at Highland than we do in our primary care and remember that's because people are coming who don't have Highland or don't have Alameda Health System as their primary care providers also do come to see us as specialty and not all the specialties are available at our freestanding sites and so they'll come over to Highland for that as well. Um, And the next line, so the third line down, that's Eastmont. And so Eastmont is also a major provider for us. The yellow line beneath that is urgent care. And I'm just going to make a note for urgent care that you see it dipping down pretty Mm -hmm. low as we get to April and May. And the reason for that is because uh, COVID vaccinations are included in the urgent care uh, delivery of service. And so that's the decline of vaccinations that's happening there. So we would expect once urgent care is kind of more back to regular business and not doing all uh, of those vaccinations that really boosted their, their volume quite a bit, um, that's probably about where it, where it will sit for us. You can see our substance use disorder clinic, that's the green line. was a steady, steady up and then a little bit
3: mm-hmm. in
4: April. So going back up again, right? Um, then you see our, our mobile van as well, and Hayward. Well, actually, you see Hayward first. Mobile van is um, the one that goes really dramatically, has peaks and valleys, the mobile van. Um, and that had to do with when we we're a pretty small clinic, but also because we had some PTO, some, some vacation time for our providers. And so that'll, that'll swing us pretty hard each month. All right, let's go on to the next one. Okay, here we have our number of visits by department. right, so the primary care and specialty care, and this is regardless of where we're seeing our patients. <clears throat> so it's all primary care. That includes Highland, Eastmont, Hayward, Newark, and all specialty care of those sites as well. We do, again, set aside urgent care for you, our substance, um, pain and buprenorphine clinics, our dental, mobile health. We have the financial screening, just to show you, again, some of our patients experiencing homelessness do go through financial screening so that they can get support if they don't already have um, yeah. coverage. Yeah. And then our behavioral health, which you see is really low, and we talked about that last month, um, that there is health is on the way, that um, the behavioral health team is, is going to be growing quickly over the next few months.
0: Very good,
4: (laughs) very good. And then this is that same chart um, of what we just described, um, but it's across time again. All right, and then I also want to um, let you know what's happening uh, for us in our leadership and advocacy section. Some of the new things to just call out are that um, our staff in mobile health is going through a significant transition. Um, Dr. Ng mentioned that we've hired uh, an assistant practice manager. This was part of our new subrecipient agreement and our new staffing plan with the growth of dental on our team that we would add an assistant practice manager. Lafayette Wickham is the person who we've offered the job to and he has accepted. Lafayette was a former member of the mobile health team. He actually helped us launch uh, mobile health when Alameda Health System um, got the responsibility of caring for our patients via Health Clinic, and he's been part of the Homeless Health Center since it, its creation as well. So we're super excited to have him back. Um, in the in-between, he did go over to the Adult Immunology Clinic, and he's done a great job over there. They're going to miss him a lot, um, doing very similar work to what we do in Mobile Clinic in caring for those patients. He's a community health outreach worker um, in his heart, and so we know that he is a great, great uh I mean, I, I hate it's not really an addition because he's he's coming back to us. So um, it is an addition, a readdition to our team but <laughs> coming back. and it's certainly a new role. So having an assistant practice manager is very new, and we're designing his work right now. We have been without a medical assistant for about a month now, and we have a new medical assistant coming on board at the end of the month. Her name is Marta Valencia. So we're super excited for that. She is a Spanish-speaking um, medical assistant, which is very helpful to have a um, mm-hmm. Spanish speaker um, on our team. So we're super excited that she's going to be joining us as well. Um, we're working on the registered dental assistants. I know that um, Dr. Ng mentioned that they're that they're hired. I'm gonna I'm gonna adjust that slightly. We successfully posted the position. We've recruited someone. Um, we've got some some administrative things that we need to to do to make it real. Um, And once we we get that all done, uh, we will announce them as well, and we're expecting that they'll be starting actually just at the beginning of July. So that is coming up, and that's going to help with that service delivery, enhanced service delivery on the dental clinic. Any questions? Anything I missed? Damon, this is a great time for you to tell me what I've missed, what I did not include. I, uh, I don't think you missed much. Uh, you know, there's
7: been a couple activities just over the last week. I, we mentioned last month that um, Catherine Horner would be leaving. Um, so she's left the organization. We are um, in the process of uh, reviewing the job description for the vice president of ambulatory role and, and reposting it. Um, and I've been invited to providing to that as has the entire ambulatory leadership team to the chief medical officer. Um, in the meantime, I actually have the role now that um, Catherine's gone of uh, facilitating the ambulatory leadership meetings, um, <laughs> and uh, and as well, I think there's, um, you know, a lot of conversation among the medical directors about um, the um, just the, the need to Really examine some of the causes of burnout among our physicians, um, and so I think there's there's leadership going on in that area um, that you all might hear about, you know, more at a future meeting. Um, just coordinating coordinating an approach to thinking about you know how much work we can ask of the primary care staff and uh, in the organization that that I'm part of as a as a physician as a ambulatory physician lead. I now have no, so many different slivers of these coverage responsibilities; it's hard to kind of keep track of them. Um, the other thing to add is, which is totally official around our mobile health staffing, is that we have an additional provider, um, Kirsten Flagg, who um, used to work at uh, Lifelong. I actually worked with her briefly when I was in the county. I, I spent some of my time at the Lifelong Downtown Open Clinic and worked alongside Kirsten Flagg, who's a nurse practitioner. She's now providing primary care at Eastmont and she's with us one day a week on mobile, really contributing to our push to um, up in that third strategic area of follow-up to have people present. The mobile health were able to pull to their own practices and follow up with folks. We anticipate bringing another provider on board from Hayward um, over the next couple of months as well. Um, so lots and lots of activity, you know, happening in, in the program. Um, and uh, and as well as outside the program, and, you know, in, in leadership roles. Heather, I don't know if you want to actually, or if you, it was included in here, I think it's important to just say what coverage responsibilities you're taking on as well now, and, and the, um, now that Catherine's departed.
4: Um, yes, I can do that. Uh, in addition to my regular role as practice manager for the Homeless Health Center, I'm supporting other practice managers as well. So it's it's not supervision. We don't call it supervision, but just support. So I have a couple of the other practice managers within our system that I check in with regularly to make sure that they are getting what they need and the support they need to get their jobs done. Hey, uh, uh,
9: Damon. Yes. Uh, Mark, um, I just real one quick question. You were talking about burnout earlier. I was just wondering, uh, uh, in, the, in the, within the program, uh, is there some sort of uh, rotational system uh, that could be um, that could be manipulated in a way that would give um, uh, would, would give uh, some physicians a break in the department? Um, they're actually one of the projects that Catherine was. Uh,
7: Um, looking at before she left along with one of our midwives um, was a project around a a kind of sabbatical program or, um, you know, a little bit of time off for people at a certain point in their career. Um, So we're just kind of exploring that idea. There isn't isn't yet a specific um, proposal around it that's been advanced, um, but that's an idea that, that has definitely come up, and that's then that people are actively working on. Thank you. That's
0: great. Okay, do we, do we have public comments? I don't think we do tonight, do we? Heather?
4: I don't see any members of the public present. No,
0: huh? Okay, great. Okay, then any board member comments? Um, I just have a little short thing to say. I had the privilege of um, going um, to visit our mobile health van a couple of weeks ago and spent quite a few hours with Wanda. And we had um, just a a wonderful time talking and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, she's just a a wonderful, wonderful person. We are so lucky to have her. And um, I would... Really hope that um, we can have her back to speak again, uh, Damon. It's been a while since she
3: spoke,
0: um, and she can maybe share some of the, the things that she shared with me, which are, are pretty interesting. It's just a thought.
7: Sure. Yeah, we can uh, we can incorporate that. I think now that we're doing agenda planning with you, at a time we can figure out you know where it fits. Yeah. Uh, where, you, where you think it fits as the chair? Thanks for that.
0: Yes. She, she has a hard time um, making the evening meetings because just her schedule, you know? And, uh, but I told her, I said, well, I really do want you to come back and speak, and she seemed very open to that, so. Okay, anybody have anything else?
5: Um, I can share a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't here last month, but uh, you all recall I was able to have the opportunity to go to the Healthcare for the Homeless conference, um, like the national conference um, in the Seattle area. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to thank everyone for um, that opportunity. Um, I think it was me and Loretta and one of our um, staff members. So um, yeah, it was super interesting to see. It was my first time there. Um, so it was really interesting to see kind of all the work that is happening across the country, really, uh, when it comes to you know um, providing care uh, for um, people experiencing homelessness. Um, and I think I just it really reminded me of you know, or I, I felt really impressed about the work that is happening locally. I feel like really great um, and um, they were doing really really great things um, but you know a lot of the times you know the, the settings are super different like the populations mm-hmm. are smaller the